This presentation was from Yox Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. We had uh, um, a, a couple of talks yesterday that spoke about the challenges of inclusive design and how we ensure that uh, the people for whom we're designing are able to participate in that process. Jerry's going to talk to us about a group that really uh, are one of the hardest cases for us to design for. So please join me in welcoming to the stage Jerry Scullion. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Now I can thank you, Steve. <laughs> so um, my name is Jerry Scullion, and I'm a human-centered designer, and I work for my own business, which is kind of handy. Um, I want to thank Donna, Steve, and Sarah for putting on an incredible few days, and an awful lot of work goes into organizing these type of things. So can we have a round of applause for, for the guys first? Thanks. So, as I said, uh, I run uh, Humana, and uh, I also have a podcast, which I'm going to come back to in a little bit, called This Is HCD. That's the plug over. Um, so, why are you here? Why did you all come to EOX Australia? And from speaking with a lot of you over the last day or so, um, I can say that it's, it's to better understand the opportunities between people and products and services. And I call that opportunity design. So true design is not only in understanding human behavior, but it's also understanding basic human needs. Basic, huge, basic needs such as food and water, to feeling safe, to feeling loved, and a sense of belonging. Now, the project I worked on for 18 months dealt with people that didn't have those things. Today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this project that focused on how to improve the briefing and preparation process for people going to court. Um, and I'm going to start off to disclaim that it's impossible to distill this, this project down into 20 minutes. But um, the project was absolutely huge, and there was a lengthy process, not only to get the people involved, to get access to those people. Um, working in a complex government organizational structure was incredibly difficult, very low design maturity, but also the, the regional and rural complexities that go with designing such a government service. So I'll speak a little bit about the techniques that worked and what didn't work. Um, it's a massively, massively sensitive area that is loaded with deep, deep sensitivities. Uh, and I had lots of ethical quandaries at every single turn. So the takeaway from today's talk, I will speak for the 20 minutes and ask some questions at the end. Um, the research and ethical quandaries so I'll speak uh, about the research and ethical quandaries that I faced and how I got around them. Conducting research in this area is extremely tough. Um, throw into the mix, as I said, the complex organizational structure and low design maturity. How do you design for those? Uh, you also have to consider that there's deep social uh, and deep sensitivities around the social problem of child sexual abuse, which I'm going to speak about today. Second piece is protecting yourself, which is, as a community, I believe we need to speak a little bit more about um, I'll talk about the effects that this project had on me personally and professionally. And I'll also speak about the mindset, the empathetic mind, moving from a, a state of empathy and into a moving it to a state of sympathy. Uh, what that means, um, I'll talk about that a little bit more, about how it affected me on a personal level. I became a father during the process of this project and how that actually affected the project as well and how it affected me personally. 
So in order for me to really talk about the process, I want to give you a very brief overview of some of the service problems. Now, as Andy pointed out, it's kind of hard to, to display some of the work that I've been talking about. I can't talk about the government agency that was involved. So um, I thought the best way of doing this, rather than showing a service map, would be to give you a scenario. So if you imagine that a parent or guardian noticed something amiss with a child, and they suspect that something has happened, the child is quiet, and they begin to suspect that something might have happened. They bring the child to a hospital in the city. The child is seen by a doctor that is then referred to a team called the JERT team, which is the Joint Investigative Service Unit, or Response Unit. Uh, the team is made up of members of police, health, and community services, and it's at this point that the health team flag a further investigation. So that investigation is a, a forensic examination. Um, and a forensic examination is basically trying to extrapolate any DNA that might be on the victim. So at this case, the, the police then take ownership of the case, and they bring it to the DPP, which is the Defense of Public Prosecution. They're the guys that represent us, and they try to bring the bad people to justice. Uh, this building, uh, they start building the case. And the building includes um, an incredible team as part of DPP that are focused purely on supporting the witness and the victim and the family for court. So um, within four weeks out of court, they'll reconvene and the WAS people will start to uh, brief and prepare them, start giving them materials and help them support through that process. And on the day of the court, they enter the courthouse from a non-public entrance. And this is a big thing. It doesn't always happen in rural areas. Rural areas are smaller. Courthouses are smaller. The victim's going to have to enter in through the main entrance of the courthouse. They're going to see the perpetrator. So huge implications there as well. But in, in metro areas, they'll enter in through a non-public uh, entrance to the courthouse. Here they can uh, sit for hours before they go to court. And inside the room where they'll give their evidence is a computer system that uses video technology so they beam into the court. Uh, they're allowed to bring a support person into the room that's not directly related to the case. So if it was a parent or a guardian that is accused, they'll be allowed to bring a grandparent in. Um, a verdict is made, or the case is heard, the child is cross-examined through video technology. So a child as young as five, sometimes I've seen lots of that. Uh, and a verdict is made, and the child is then gives a victim impact statement. So this is actually a happy path, as we like to call a new ex. So it doesn't sound too happy to me. But uh, the further west you go in New South Wales, like most of us are here, hands up who's from New South Wales. Hands up who's been out to Burke. Hands up who's been out to Wilcannia. Okay, so there's kind of less people. Uh, the further west you go, the much harder it is to execute a service like this. Access to social services, access to material, access to internet. In Wilcannia, the nearest cell tower is 10 kilometers away. So think about that. How do you design a service that is going to be accessible by the internet when you don't have a cell tower for 10 Ks? Um, and also access to forensic medical practitioners. So if you're abused out there, you're trying to get access to a forensic medical pr practitioner to do that examination. It's pretty hard. DNA dies after 24 hours, and you could be waiting days to get a forensic medical examiner. So throw into the mix more social economic issues and family dynamics, access to support and preparation services due to the tyranny of distance. So let me get on. Um, this is a summary of the research and the first ethical quandary that I faced was accessing my primary user base, children and the parents and guardians. 
So our approach in an industry is a typical, like we want to get face to face, we want to try and do some contextual inquiries, we want to try and do as much quant as we will. I love quant, you know, everyone does. Um, but not, this, this was not appropriate. You know, there was never a point where I said, hey, you know, it's appropriate for me to intervene during that course of a child going through the justice process. So how do we, how do we get around that? So I've listed out here like what worked, like techniques such as service mapping was invaluable to me um, in, these, in these social circumstances of getting counselors and getting uh, psychologists and people who support people through it. That really worked well to, to tell a narrative. Um, access to quantitative data. There was certain stuff that I could get my hands on in the, in the government. Um, attending court cases was hugely um, problematic, but attending a court and seeing a child being cross-examined was, was hugely beneficial to me. And scenario-driven design. But what didn't work, I'm going to speak a little bit more about that. I'm going to tell you about the research and ethical quandaries. So um, here's a scenario. I wanted to do a diary study. Hands up who's done diary studies. Okay, so we've, we've, we've got some diary studies experience in the room. I wanted to do a diary study, and I was introduced to a lady on email on a Thursday, and she's over in the UK, and she's done a lot of work for the New South Wales government, and she works in this space. And we caught up on Skype the next day, and I'd spent a month polishing the diary study. I had one that was primarily made for parents and guardians. I was focusing on one for the parents and guardians to deliver that to the child. And it was a great way for me to get access to a, a rich data set that I could potentially then synthesize. So I was like, you know, like a kid in a, in a, in a sort of bad analogy, but <laughs> I was really happy. And um, she said to me, how did you get around the quandary of getting judicial approval? And I was like, um, what do you mean? You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it with the judiciary. She said, well... You know, the problem with diary studies is that we found in the UK, once we started to do it, um, there's the risk that they're going to get subpoenaed by the defense. Once the child admits and puts data into there, it can potentially damage the case. So I, I wasn't able to do my diary study. I was really upset over this because I'd spent so much time, and it was the, the last basic opportunity for me to get access to that data. So something as simple for us as to do a diary study just was not possible, and it was not, wasn't ethically correct. So, lucky for me during this process, I had a fantastic UX design team with Jerry Gaffney, who's over here as well, and John Murphy and Kate Goodwin and Farouk Abdi and Julian Huxham. Um, they offered me support through this process. Um, the closer to the problem I got, the bigger it became, and the larger the need for a service that was needed. I could see that this was such a huge problem in New South Wales and globally that I really wanted to get the service out as quickly as possible. So it was at this point that I started to think a little bit more about protecting myself. So um, I used a technique called super teams, um, which allowed me to get groups of people into the room and uh, that represented, they were, they were as close to the victim as possible. They provided the services. And I used scenario-driven design to basically uh, to get so much of that information. So I ran the session, um, and I remember there was one session in particular I'm going to tell you about. It was a Tuesday morning, and I'd spent ages trying to get these sessions together, totally ages to get all these people in the room, and only two people turned up. But one of the people turned out that he had suffered at the hands of a child sexual abuser for 10 years. And I did not know that. So the session, as a result, it was quite small and intimate, 
I was exp ex basically exposed to some serious, serious stories that started to affect me. And one Friday night, my wife noticed that I wasn't myself. And she said that I might be suffering from something and I should go to speak to somebody. Sorry, it's a bit overwhelming. But I did something that I'd never done, and it's, I went to see a psychologist. And that the data that I'd been exposed to for, for months had started to creep up, and it's creeping up now. Um, and I was suffering from acute vicarious trauma. Now, as designers, this is real. You know, if you're going to work in these seriously socially and emotionally charged areas, we need to get better as a community for designing for that. So my little uh, emotional is, is going, it's leaving the room. <laughs> Um, the next state of mind is uh, how I moved from that empathetic state. As designers, we, we practice empathy. It's, it's a word that's thrown around quite a lot. But I started to feel something different. We were having our first child, and when my beautiful daughter came along, it started to shift my mind from an empathetic state into a sympathetic state. And I really started to question my effectiveness as a designer. I was like, how can I work in this space when I no longer feel empathy? I feel really sorry for these people. It was like deeply charged. Suddenly my daughter was like, something was in front of me. It was real, it was tangible. And I, you know, I could totally see, you know, like it was, everything manifested itself. So it was at that point that I started to try and wrap this project up. I was saying, okay, I'm going to give this back to the government. Um, it became too big. It was, it was a project that I wanted to get out, and I wanted to get out as quickly as possible. So in summary... What I want you to take away is if you're working in this space, prepare yourself and prepare your team. You know, you're going to access data. It's, it's difficult to understand and it's difficult to process. Have that support network in place when you're working in these socially charged areas. Have access to psychologists that are totally independent of the organization that you're working with. Leave it to the choice of the designer to make the right next step. So learn just enough and move ahead. And this was something that took me ages to figure out. Like... Have a hypothesis, learn, and move straight ahead. I was staying far too long in, in that understanding piece, that discovery piece. It was taking me months. But once I started to bring people together, I'd learn a little bit more, and I'd prototype. So what really worked well for me was prototyping to a higher level than we usually would. These are low design maturity. Um, I've just gotten through that. <laughs> and then lastly, um, evaluate quickly. I, I used Kano modeling quite a lot in my, in my research to come out of research and get straight into practical prioritization. Kano modeling is a fantastic tool. If you don't know it, try it. It's fantastic. It helps you prioritize features. helps you build the service out quite quickly. And finally, bringing it back around, Steve, how many much more minutes do I have? Two, two minutes, okay. As I said, this is HCD, is uh, my podcast. And the reason why I'm doing a plug for this is the, uh, one of the NGOs that I worked with was called Cara Care. They're based out in Concord. They are an incredible organization, totally non-government funded. And I set up this as HCD. It's what we know. It's what I do. And all the advertising revenue from this podcast goes directly to Cara Care. I pay for the podcast myself. Uh, and we've got some excellent speakers coming up. Um, mostly Australian, but some international people from Shopify and BBC and stuff. Uh, we also have a Slack channel as well you can get, get part of. Now, if you're really feeling generous, you're getting free coffee and free lunches, there's a donate now, and that money goes straight to, to Caracare. And it would make me so happy if someone could take the phone out and maybe potentially donate $5, $10. 
there's a short bitly link there. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And um, I've, any questions, I'm, I'm happy to take them now or after. Yeah, yeah. Any questions for Jerry before we go to the break? Yes, hold on. Oh, catch ya. Yes, uh, no, that was an amazing talk. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jerry. That, and I'm sure that it was actually quite difficult to share that as well. Um, my question for you, and I hope this isn't too pointy. It's okay. Out, out of the work that you did on this project, do you feel like there was a, a result? Did you make a difference? Was there something that you, you really achieved? Or yep. did you come away feeling, so, well, that was too big and I didn't achieve it? It was a big project. Like, I, I, learned, I grew like, hugely through the pro- uh, project. But it's a really good question because initially I was tasked at looking at this by the government and my viewpoint was that this was going to get serviced and it was going to get developed and it was going to get funded. But as the projects developed, it started to become more clear that there was funding issues and ultimately what I started to move towards was more of a business case development. So moving the research piece forward um, to allow government to create another business case because it was bigger than just you know, doing a website there's too many websites out there. This is a collective. I was trying to bring government together. I was trying to bring multiple verticals, health, police, you know, ultimately to get that service, that human-centered design piece. But, um, so it's gone back, and they're going to write a business case. The stuff that's coming out of the Royal Commission, which I was working with as well, has been hugely beneficial. And they've now come to the assumption that we need to do something about this. So <laughs> um, hopefully in the next maybe couple of years, New South Wales government will, will do something to support these people. Hi. Uh, I just had a question about finding opportunities like this for opportunity design. Um, finding which? Um, finding opportunity design, like something like this. I was just curious how you came across it. Did they approach you or mm. did you find that there was something missing and you pitched it to them and you, then yeah. you did this whole project? Ironically, Steve was indirectly involved with this project. They, and Jerry Gaffney over there did the early discovery uh, research piece. Jerry called me and said, hey, there's a hypothesis that we may need to support vulnerable witnesses, which was like adults. And it wasn't until I went through some quantitative data with government that I realized that the target audience that I was going to be working with initially was children. So um, thank these two guys, which is kind of funny. Okay. Um, thanks, Jerry. Thank no worries. Thanks, much. Steve. Thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.